It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and today we're going to round out our bracket for our Sweet 16, moving on to the Elite Eight. Who will be joining the other six in our next round? We have four guys all fighting for the shot to move on, and we're going to be breaking down those names later on. But before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media, at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show. It's really simple. My name is Cole. My last name is Thompson. I am a mister. That's my name. Don't wear it out. I love criticism, guys. I really do. I think any time that I can have something that is criticized or definitely have a different feel, I'm always down for it. I'm never going to be the guy who's like, oh, no, I'm perfect. I cannot need any more improvement. I know I do. I think everybody does, especially in this line of work. You definitely have to be able to be able to expand your nurses and expand your horizons and the only way you can do that is by having people so make sure you're following me there also make sure you're following us at locked on aggies locked on aggies is your number one source for all things a&m related content via social media via the audio waves so make sure you give us a quick follow there and check out all of our great work found at lockedonpodcast.com. let's just give you a rundown on who has made it into our elite eight already we had of course uh, Von Miller defeating the likes of DeAndre Jordan as the one versus five matchup. Johnny Manziel took down the likes of Kevin Smith, although I did have some questions on if that was the case. Uh, Dattin Wing, of course, took down the likes of Aaron Glenn. Miles Garrett took down AC Law. John David Crow took down the likes of w- Richmond Webb, although I do think if it was any other person, Webb would have moved on because of the success that he had as a Pro Bowl left tackle, which is so rare to have in the NFL today. Uh, but unfortunately, when you go up against a Heisman Trophy winner, you're probably going to lose. And Mike Evans took down the likes of Chris Middleton, although both were very talented players during their times in the Big 12 and the SEC, respectively. It's what Evans has done at the NFL level that gave him the advantage to move on. So, moving into our final list, coming in with our number one seed after defeating Tyler Naquin last week, Sam Adams, number two seed, uh, Chuck Novichok bar, uh, defeated Marcus Buckley. Quentin Corrett beat Leland McElroy. And Ray Childress beat out Daniel House Jr. for our Sweet 16. So why don't we go ahead and break it down, starting with Ray Childress. Again, as we spoke about last time, Childress just was a guy who, the second he stepped onto AM, was someone who immediately put fear in offensive tackles and offensive linemen's faces because they were like, okay, this is a freshman and he's going to start every single game, and I'm going to have to not let him stop me. When you just look at his measurables alone, he said at 6'6", 272, which back then, for a defensive tackle, 272 was a lot. I mean, you're starting to see guys at 330 who can't move as well. 272 was 330 back in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, that, like that's a given. That was what Ray Childers was. He was a money run and pound type of player uh, was one of those guys that when you look at on the film and when you look at his history of what he was able to do both at the collegiate and professional level it's terrifying 
he has a lot going for him as the two seed when you I mean as the as the late seed going for this because of in his junior year he posted 117 tackles, 15 quarterback sacks, which was a school record at the time, and was named a first team All-American. His senior year, he just doubled down. He had another fantastic year. Uh, the Aggies ranked number five in pass defense. Uh, he recorded 124 tackles. Uh, with 10 sacks, 25 sacks was then a school record for a non-linebacker, and his 360 tackles ranked 4th all-time in the A&M career list. He finishes a consensus All-American. He ranks 5th all-time in the university in both tackles and career sacks. In 1990, he was inducted into the Texas A&M Hall of Fame. In 2008, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. and 2010, the College Football Hall of Fame. He was selected with the uh, third overall pick by the Houston Oilers in the 1985 NFL Draft. And when you look at some of the names that were in that draft, it's pretty terrifying. Of course, Bruce Smith, uh, you have uh, Dwayne Brickett, Lonnie Thomas, Al Toon, Jim Lakey, Eddie Brown, Jerry Rice was the 16th overall pick out of Mississippi Valley State in that year, Uh, Gene Gray, Bernie Kosar, a lot of good names, a lot of good talent. And all Childress did was continue his success once he got to the professional level. When he was selected with the Houston Oilers in 1985, they moved him from uh, defensive end to defensive tackle, according to uh, uh, defense coordinator Jim Eddy, switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3 defensive scheme. So they thought he fit better inside, and he did that. He was already a pro bowler when he filled the, uh, the need at nose guard. For his career, he played in 163 games, 887 tackles, 76.5 sacks, 19 forced fumbles, another great career when you really break it down five-time pro bowler in 1988 and then through 1990 through 1993 he was a six-time all pro three-time first team 1990 through 1992 a three-time second team 1990 uh, 1988 89 and 93 uh, he holds the nfl record for three fumble recoveries in one game so again this was no flute guy he was a talented player who backed it up at both the collegiate level and the nfl level And he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm not sure we can say the same thing about Sam Adams, who he may have better numbers, but again, I'm tying in the greatest Aggie athlete of all time and trying to figure out which one makes sense overall. And right now, it's really hard not to say that he is definitely not in the running. Ray Childers has a career, but let's just take a look real fast at Sam Adams and see how the two pair up. Adams was another powerful defensive tackle who made a name for himself by disrupting the passer and finding ways to make plays in the backfield. During his junior season, Adams tallied, let's see, how much did he tally? He had a pretty good year. In 1993, yeah, he led the team in tackles for losses with 13 and sacks, 10.5, five forced fumbles, uh, three fumble recoveries, and made 78 total tackles. He was recognized as a first-team All-American and was named the National Defensive Player of the Year by Sports Illustrated. He also was the Southwest Conference Defensive Player of the Year and the runner-up for the Lombardi Award given out to the best yeah, the best player in football regardless of the position. Uh, he finished at Texas A&M with 169 total tackles, three tackles for losses, um, 23 tackles for losses, my bad, 20.5 sacks, seven forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and two interceptions. 
He was selected with the eighth overall pick in the first round of the 1994 NFL Draft by the Seattle Seahawks, playing with them from 1994 to 1999. He made several starts during his rookie year, splitting time between DT and D-end. In his second season, as uh, he sacked Mark Brunel for his safety, scoring his first points in his professional career. He played several more seasons in Seattle before making an AFC Pro Bowl team as an alternate. In 2000, he signed as a free agent with the Baltimore Ravens, helping the team dominate that defense. He was one of those bigger name kind of guys on that team. Uh, He also helped the team win a Super Bowl uh, during the 2000 year. He also was a member of the Super Bowl uh, championship, uh, AFC championship team with the Oakland Raiders during the 2002 season. He started in 16 of 14 games, but missed one due to injury. He did not start another game. He finished his career in 2006 with the Cincinnati Bengals. He retired after the 2007 season. He never really played. He only played in, no, never mind. He played in 11 games for the Denver Broncos. So he was there from 1994 to 1997. Has good numbers when you look at it overall. Uh, Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler, an AP second-team All-Pro, a Pro Football's Writers Association, first-team All-Pro, a two-time first-team All-AFC Pro by Pro uh, by Pro Football Weekly, Defensive Lineman of the Year, voted by the player, NFL Players Association in 2002, and he was a consensus All-American. I look at these and I wonder, Adams was a talented player, but then at the same time, so was Ray Childress. And you look at the numbers and you put them next to each other and you have a five-time Pro Bowler versus a three-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-American versus a one-time All-American, a three-time first-team All-Pro versus a no-team All-Pro, at least by the NFL standards, a three-time second-team All-Pro, and a two-time All-Pro by websites, not by anyone else, not by the NFL, not by someone who actually gives a vote to the league association. And then you have a college football hall of fame resume. I'm doing it. I am going to say right now that our four seed Ray Childress gets the upset over Sam Adams. So we have our final first upset with the number one seed. One goes down. Number four comes in. Ray Childress moves on. Sam Adams, you had a good career, but this is where the bus stops for you. We're going to be taking a quick break, but when we come back, Let's check in on our other matchup. Chuck Nobuchok versus Quinton Coyet. Which one of these two will be joining? Will it be the hot-hitting bat of uh, Nobuchok, or will it be the pass-rushing specialist of Coyet? Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat. Guys, let me ask you a personal question. Do you like great podcasts with great content found by people who know what they're talking about around the league in whatever sport you call your favorite? Simple. Why not listen to a Locked On podcast instead of the other ones? We have over two dozen college sports shows plus a ton of content surrounding the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, fantasy sports, and so much more. So why don't you go ahead and download LockedOnPodcast.com today and start listening to your favorite show and maybe your secondary favorite show. We don't hold judges here. Just make sure you find that button. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com or find us on Apple, Spotify, whatever you listen to. Hit the like button, subscribe, and download a Locked On Podcast podcast today. We're moving right along here with our bracket. As I already said, Ray Childress gets the upset over Sam Adams. Our first number one seed will not be going on to the Elite Eight. We have a four seed. So the highest number that we can go with right now is Chuck Noblechuck. And is him or Quentin Coyet going to move on? 
This is a matchup that I really want to talk about because of you have to look at some of what Noblechok's background is to kind of get a feel of why he may be down on the count. So, I mean, let's just start off with, of course, his numbers that he had at A&M. He was a very standout player for them during his time. Uh, in 1998, he, during the collegiate summer ball with the Warren Cape Cod Baseball League, he received the Outstanding Pro Prospect of the Year in 2001. He was inducted into the Cape Cod Baseball League Hall of Fame. During his last season at uh, A&M in 1989, the team finished with a, se- uh, a record-high 58 wins that stole the record in baseball history for College Station. Drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Twins, he played a big part during their Game 7 World Series of 1991, you know, you have his numbers, four-time All-Star, 92, 94, 96, 97, four-time World Series champion, 91, 98, 99, 2000, AR Rookie of the Year, 1991, Gold Glover, 1987, two-time Silver Slugger Award. But then you have to look at some of the, the things that he had. One of the biggest things was you have this thing called the Yips or the Steve Sachs Syndrome, which is basically a term that means you give up routine, fundamentally sound plays. That, during his time with the Yankees, towards the end of his career, he uh, had 13 errors at second base and 26 in 1999. None of these were throwing errors. He just had time making accurate throws to first base. Uh, He never was able to kind of get into a you know, a, a system. He tried various solutions to try and fix his throwing problem, but it would not improve. He made 15 errors in less than half of a season in 2000, including 10 throwing miscues. During one game, he nearly hit sportscaster uh, Keith Oblerubin's mother in the head. After making three throwing errors in the sixth game of a 12-3 loss, Novichok voluntarily left the game. He left Yankee Stadiums in street clothes while the game was still going on in progress. He's never really recovered from it they moved him actually to designated hitter in the world series game because of they could not trust that he was going to make the throw during his time they thought that he was going to be a problem so they had to move him to the outfield to make his arm a little bit better then you have some other off the field stuff on September 25, 2009, an officer of Memorial Village Police Department near Houston was told Novichok's common-law wife, Stacy Steinmich, that he hit her and choked her. A police officer's adviv alleged that his redness around her neck and swelling near the eye were ca- consistent with her statement. On September 29, 2009, the Harris County, uh, Texas District Attorney charged Novichok with assaulting a family member by choking in third-degree felony in Texas. Uh, He pleaded guilty of a misdemeanor assault during that year in 2010. The couple was reportedly going through a divorce. In July of 2014, the 46-year-old Novichok was charged with assaulting of another family member, Cheryl Novichok, who he divorced in 2012. During this process, he was actually going up to be recognized in the Twins Hall of Fame. And they took him out because they did not want to have a two-time domestic violence assault charge I guess would be the only way to describe it in their record books they did not want to put him in the same category as players like Torrey Hunter or Kirby Pocket they wanted to make sure that people knew we will not stand for this we will not stand to allow players who are involved in these type of heinous events make a name for themselves so Novichok on the field is a fantastic player 
And that doesn't even include his HGH problems. That just includes his, his, his numbers in general. 289 batting average, 615 RBIs, uh, 407 stolen bases. You don't have a lot of production from players outside of that realm. But his off-the-field troubles is a little bit like Johnny Manziel's. I don't know if you can move him on because of what happened. But, same time, Quentin Coyet, this is a player who you have numbers for what he did in the major leagues for Nobachok. Coyet never had those. He never had the numbers at the pros. And also, to add a little bit of insult to injury here, you have to look at, he missed two years because if he failed to meet the requirements of Proposition 48. Proposition 48, just to go on a quick background, is the NCAA regulation that stipulates minimum high school grades and standardized test scores that student athletes must meet in order to participate in college athletic um competition it was enacted in 1986 as of 2010 the regulations follows they must complete a uh, 16 course uh, 16 core courses in high school a sliding scale combination of grades in high school course courses and standardized test level scores for example if a student earned a 3.0 grade average in the average courses that individual must score at least a 620 on the sat or some score of 52 on the act back in the day when those were the numbers for the act the GPA uh, increases, the requirement of the test score decreases, and vice versa. So, say you had a 2.5 GPA, you had to have a thousand on or a 1,200 on your uh, SAT scores. Say you had a two, uh, 2.0, you had to have a 1,400. Koya didn't meet those numbers. Now, while he was on campus, he did good. He did very good. As a junior, he posted 92 tackles, three sacks, 18 quarterback pressures, and two fumbles. He received the Southwest Newcomer of the Year honors. And he was a member of the Wrecking Crew, along with players such as Mark Wheeler, Marcus Buckley, Kevin Smith, Derek Frazier, and Patrick Bates. As a senior, he registered 92 tackles, second on the team, 4.5 sacks, 11 tackles for losses, three pass deflections, one forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Perhaps the biggest thing he's known for is the knockout hit on wide receiver from TCU, Kyle McPherson, that made him break his jaw in three places. ESPN called it the hit of the year. In 2009, he was inducted into the Texas A&M Hall of Fame. In 2018, he was inducted into the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame. He was a two-time All-Southwest Conference player, a two, uh, Southwest Player of the Year uh, for 1990, a Southwest Defensive Player of the Year in 1991, and the NEA All-American. He was selected with the number two pick in the 1992 NFL Draft after being chosen as the number one linebacker in the class. It was the highest draft position of a player since John David Crow in 1958. He never turned into anything. Even when the team had him play a mix of positions. His first year, he recorded 50, uh, 54 tackles, but he was placed on injury reserve during October 27th in the seventh game of the year. He tied 150 tackles during his second season, but he never really had anything better than that. He had 150 tackles, the, uh, the one year, 95, 163 tackles. For his career, after missing every year except for three, he had a seven-year career, and every year he played less than uh, the full 16 games. Seven, eight, 15, and four with Dallas. He recorded a total of 459 tackles, 339 solo tackles, but 8.5 sacks. This was a guy who was heralded for his ability to disrupt the pass rush. And he never was able to bring that level of intensity to the NFL. Noblechuk, it's a tough one. Because Noblechuk also has his issues. 
ah, man, I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't. And so I'm not. I'm not going to reward Noblechuk that way. Koyet moves on, even though he has his own string of problems because of what happened with him in college. He never made a career for himself during the seven years that he was in the NFL. But I can't sit here and justifiably say that Noblechuk moves on for what happened off the field. It, that's the biggest thing for me. It matters as much on the field as it does off the field what you do. And because of what he's done off the field and his his sources with HGH and the steroid usage, I can't justifiably say, yeah, it makes total sense. So unfortunately, Coyet moves on by default because of what he was able to do in two years and at least he kind of kept his nose clean during his time at the professional level. There's one more thing I want to talk about. I'm going to surprise it with you guys. There's things that we're doing, all doing during quarantine. I want to give you a list of things you can do during this time period and definitely a show you have to watch when we come back in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. Like I said, uh, usually I start the show with something going on. I want to have some type of person either involved or I want to have some, some news going around Texas A&M. Today there was nothing. I had nothing to report, so we got to do the bracket a little earlier. So I'm going to close the show with this. During coronavirus, you have a lot of time to spend with family, friends, and find an activity to do. If you have the time, watch Tiger King. I'm serious. It is a show that you have to see to believe. Joe Exotic is an out-of-this-world cartoon character come to life in the middle of nowhere Oklahoma who has 227 tigers living on his facility. And there's a ton, a ton of things that you will not believe when you watch the show. I'm not going to give you away too much details, but here's all I'm going to say. Let's just, let's just start off with this. Joe Exotic alone. The fact that his reality television show never got picked up because of an incident that occurs in episode four, if I'm not mistaken, is bananas. This guy was in way over his head. Now, while he was smart, he did know how to take care of Tigers. He did know how to handle things. But his personal life alone makes this show watchable. There is polygamy. There is uh, uh, murder charges. There are threats. There's There's a man who gets his arm ripped off in the second episode, and you see... The, the, the video of the person lying on the ground without an arm. I mean, that's all you have to know to watch this show. The biggest thing that I take away from the show is I, I started doing a little research later on because I wanted to know more about this. And you're probably going to be a lot like me. They portray everyone so bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. And you'll understand. Jeff Lowe is a terrible person. I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, Carol Baskins is insane. In her own way. But when you do a little bit more research on what wasn't shown in the documentary, there's a few things that kind of are like, okay, maybe I can believe it. Doc Antle is another one who comes off as probably like the most normal, sane one of the top three names in it. And there's a lot of things that are hidden about him that I had to look up on the interweb. Uh, There's a lot of things I had to look up about him that they did not show, they did not portray about what he does. 
Uh, you have to go off of what one former employee says about him, and that's all you kind of get. Do some research after watching it, but the fact of the matter is, this is a show that talks about the craziness of people. And I bring this up because of COVID-19 is starting to drive people insane. And you're going to start to see people doing some probably crazy things that don't need to be out there. There's things that definitely do not need to be said. And they're a lot like college football fans, Tiger people. Once you go to a game, you have to root for that team. And you cannot stop watching your team either win big time, come out with, you know, like LSU this past year, seven top 10 victories. That's a euphoric feeling that just rushes into your adrenaline system that makes you want to be a fan. A larger fan than you could ever possibly imagine. Same thing with holding a tiger. And uh, Rick uh, Kornstock, however you say his last name, kind of put it best. When they put a baby tiger in your hand, it's the sense of kind of power that you have over an animal. And the fact that you're able to control this beast at a young age... It's a, it's a rush that you're never going to have. And just imagine if college football gets canceled this year. Like, imagine if for the year, this podcast is just literally looking up history, talking to former players, talking to other people, just about what's been going on in their lives and how, you know, this team actually ended up. I'm just blown away by the fact that, you know, what was shown in the documentary. Because these people are crazy. Go take time out of your day because you have time. Everyone has time, especially on the weekends since you're quarantined inside the house. Go watch Tiger King. It is a seven-part documentary series that is filled with the most outrageous, outlandish, insane, asinine, on some type of drug euphoric characters that will make it must-see television. And then afterwards, do your own research and believe, all right, did Carol do it? Uh, Did Alan actually get paid? All that stuff. I'm not going to give away any more details, but those are things that you definitely have to watch. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Also, while you're here, why not listen to Chad Ford's Big Board NBA Draft Show? Chad Ford's one of the most respected people when it comes to NBA Draft. He is now a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. He is a must-listen for everything with the NBA, and you're definitely going to want to know that because of with NBA coming to a close right now with no idea of when sports will return, perhaps the NBA Draft is the first aspect you will have when it comes towards something with the NBA. But tomorrow, we'll be having a special guest on the show. I won't name who, because I want to make it a surprise, but you're definitely going to want to listen to it. He has some insight on a former Texas A&M defensive tackle and where possibly he could land in the NFL draft. We'll be bringing him on tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, thank him, y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.